At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. All right, so this morning now, I want you to take out your Bible. And uh, does anyone need this? Okay. Uh, take out your Bible and turn with me to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We started last week in this, this new series, and I'm excited that we get a chance over the next few weeks to dive into um, this book of the Bible. And I, I want to say a couple of things before we do. I want to say I've missed you. Uh, it's good to be back. I feel like I've been gone for like a month. Um, even though I only took one Sunday off, uh, thank you for being gracious to share me with the other campuses. You know, through the month of July, uh, we did a little bit of pulpit swapping. Uh, the first Sunday in, in July, I was at Farmington, and Jacob, Pastor Jacob, was here. We swapped places. And then uh, the, the week after that, I was here. And then after that, I went to uh, Royal Oak, and Pastor John was here. And then last week, I was uh, competing in um, a triathlon. I completed uh, the half Ironman last Sunday, so thank you for your prayers and all of that. Yep, I'm hurting today, I'm sore and all of that, but uh, thank you for your prayers. It was a great opportunity to get out and to compete and to just have some fun um, enjoying God's creation. And uh, today I'm back, so I'm, I'm here now. I'm not going anywhere else, so I'll be here for a while. So <laughs> thank you for the claps. Um, yeah, this series is really, really good, and I hope you were blessed last week as, as Jeff Totten came and as he shared and opened up this new series entitled Smoke and Mirrors, taking a look at the book of Ecclesiastes. And I just want you to know, this is one of those series that I think is going to be really helpful, can be really helpful not only for you, but for those that God has placed in your life. Maybe you have a friend uh, that's kind of questioning the faith, questioning, has questions about life and questions about God and all of that, this would be a good series to share with them. Or maybe you have a friend that's a skeptic, that maybe they've grown up their whole lives thinking this whole Christian stuff is, is like all based on emotion and all of that. This is one of those series that we're going after the heart, but we're also going after the head. Because a lot of times we can get to the heart by going through the head because we've got to think through these things. We've got to think through how God has operated with his creation, how God has created and how we, his created, uh, interact with him. And so uh, invite your friends, invite your skeptic friend, invite your friend that's questioning. And maybe if they don't even want to come, we have a couple other tools that you can use. You can share with them the podcast Every Monday, the sermon from Sunday is posted or published on our podcast, and so you can share that out. You can also share the video out, the, the video that we take live during our 9.30 service on Facebook. You can share that with your friends and uh, use that as well. But I really believe that God has allowed the circumstances of current history to allow people right now to be more poised and more receptive to the gospel than ever. And I'm afraid that we might miss it. We might miss the opportunity that God has laid before us if we get caught up in just the daily activities. You know, I've never known a time in history where people are so divided. 
You know, I, I have to think back in, in, in thinking about being divided, especially as a nation, as people, as brother against brother and, and parent against son. I have to imagine that's similar to what it was like during the Civil War. Right, when you had neighbor going to war against neighbor. Like, we're not at that point yet. But I feel like we might be in our words. Right, we, we're really good in this season at cutting other people down and saying bad things about other people and trying to divide ourselves into groups based on things that we believe or things that we like. And so people are so divided. People are living on the edge like almost at any moment, someone might snap. We see the frustration level of people. People are stressed out. People are looking everywhere for hope. People are looking for something to cling to in the midst of these troubled times. And I want us to be people that press into the word. You've heard me say this before, because everyone that God has littered your life with, lives with, they don't need to know what you think. They don't need to know your political position. They don't need to know any of that stuff. All they need is to know what God says. And if we don't know what God says, when those people come into our lives, we have nothing to give to them. We have no answers. We have no hope. We're just another person aimlessly pointing people in different directions. So my prayer is for us is that we would press into God's word and that we would come to God's word with open eyes. We would come to God's word with open hearts and with open hands. Last week we began kind of taking a look at answering the question, what is the purpose or meaning of life? Like, why is this all here? Like, why did God create all of this? Why are there trees? Why is there nature? Why are there seats that we can sit in? Why are we here? What is our purpose? What is our meaning? And how we answer that question has huge implications on our life now and on eternity. Last week, we began diving into the book of Ecclesiastes that was written by King Solomon. He's writing about life in his later years. As he's you know, maybe running the last lap of his life, he's coming back and he's contemplating the things that he's experienced and he's sharing with us the things that he's learned from the things that he's done. And he's talking about his own pursuit of wisdom, his own pursuit of the meaning and purpose and peace, finding peace in life. And last week, what we learned is that when you consider the cosmos, when you consider all that is, there are only two lenses through which we can view everything that is. Solomon likes to refer to them in two ways. He says, either you're going to view life as under the sun, or you're going to view life as under heaven. Now, let me explain those to you. Because they're, 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 they're nuanced and they mean completely different things. So you'll either view life from an earthly, temporary perspective. That's under the sun. So everything that's under creation, everything that's here is all that there is. Right? We have a, a, a word for that now in, in our day. We call it secularism. Right? It's, it's the idea that this is all that there is. There's nothing outside of this. There is no God. There is no creator. There is no e eternity. There is nothing. All that is remains right here. It's a very secular, non-God way of looking at things. 
But then Solomon said there's another way of looking at it as though it's under heaven. We refer to that these days as understanding that uh, there, is a, there is a God. And so it's secularism versus theism, that there is a God that is creator of all things and to which we are all accountable. And so either we're going to view life as under the sun, meaning this is all there is, or everything is under the ultimate authority of God himself. So last week we began breaking apart secularism as as. as um, King Solomon is walking us through. Solomon has examined everything in the universe. He's engaged in secular philosophies and ideologies and seeking to find happiness. He's gone through that pursuit of seeing if he can make sense of the world as everything under the sun. And last week we saw that everything is meaningless. When you go approach life from a secular view or under the sun view, all it leads to is frustration and futility. And last week we looked at one of the subviews of secularism. It's called naturalism. Naturalism is, is states that all that we have has occur, occurred by chance. That there are natural causes for all things. So life being created wasn't created, that it naturally happened. This would be a person that would hold an evolutionary view to creation, or to the, not creation, to the beginning of the world. And we saw last week that taking a look at a naturalistic view only leads to futility. Why? Because nature has order, and it has sequence, and it has repetitiveness that leads to nowhere. Right, The seasons come and the seasons change. The sun rises and the sun falls and people live and people die. And there's this never-ending process that's going nowhere from a naturalistic perspective. Right? We, we know from a theistic perspective that God is moving all things to his end. That, that nature is not just the cycle that keeps repeating itself infinitely, but that all things are moving to the glorification of God in the end and the eternal worship of creator God. That's where everything is moving. And so today what we're going to take a look at, since naturalism isn't an answer, another ism that Solomon tackles today is intellectualism. Intellectualism is the pursuit of knowledge and understanding apart from God. It's a move towards autonomy which means that we live in such a way that we don't need God. So there's a, a disposition inside of our hearts that wants to attain knowledge. We, we want to have intellect. We want to have wisdom. We want to have understanding, but we want to have it apart from God. And this approach we're going to see that Solomon gave himself over to also did not produce life, but more frustration. The pursuit of more knowledge and wisdom only leads to more questions. Have you ever had a conversation with an inquisitive toddler? <laughs> Every day, yeah. I know you guys are deep in the midst of it. Yeah, it's, you, you go to your child and you're like, hey, it's time to change your clothes. And they're like, why? <laughs> well, because you wore them yesterday and they're dirty. Why? Well, because you're going to start to smell, and you don't want to smell, right? Well, why? Well, if you start to smell, then the other kids that you're playing with, they might get to notice, and they might, like, keep their distance from you. Well, why? 
Well, you know, if you don't make good friends and you can't have friends because you're the smelly kid in class, then you might never meet that perfect someone, fall in love and get married. Why? Well, because if you never get married, then I'm never going to have, you're never going to have kids and I'm never going to be able to be a grandparent. Well, why? Because I'll never be able to have this conversation with my granddaughter or my grandson and have them ask me the same questions. Well, well, why? You get the idea? Right? When we have questions and we need to seek the answers, it's always going to get us in the cyclical cycle of continuing on moving and moving and moving and asking the question, why, why, why? What we're going to see, first of all, as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. So if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn there. Solomon's going to ask, answer the question or ask the question, why does more wisdom lead to more questions? See, if we're in this pursuit, if, if growing our intellect and growing our mind is the only pursuit of our lives, it's only going to leave us with more and more questions. It doesn't bring peace. It doesn't bring understanding. It doesn't bring wholeness. Let's look at as as Solomon's wrestling with this in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. He writes, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So you see that approach? He wants to do it from from a godly perspective, from a God-honoring, God-ruling perspective. Then he says that it is unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. Do you see the transition there? So I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but striving after wind. For in much wisdom and much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So Solomon, king over all of Israel, is giving personal testimony of his experience. In this passage, he describes two pursuits of his heart. He says, I've given myself over to this. And so he he breaks it down and he gives the pursuit of his heart, gives an explanation of it. And then at the end, he says, this is what I've learned. So he gives a proverb or a statement of truth. And he does this twice in this passage. The first is a reflection in verses 13 and 14. And the conclusion or the statement of truth comes in verse 15. And then another reflection or another pursuit of his heart in 16 and 17. And then a final conclusion and statement of truth in verse 18. And so we see the first pursuit of his heart was knowledge and wisdom. It was the pursuit towards intellectualism. He wanted to seek to crack the code for success in life. And we see in this, in verses 13 and 14, we see the method of his intellectualism. His approach is characterized by intellectual rigor, by applying the cognitive facility, his his mind and his heart, to the methodology of comprehensive examination. So he wants to go through and seek to understand all of these things. 
he sought to examine the world and come up with conclusions of what makes life or a, a success in life. <clears throat> he sought wisdom and meaning. And when he was, he began doing it under God, under the authority of God, but then as he began to consider all the things that he sees men doing and then the world doing, he says that all of this pursuit he saw was meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. The pursuit of his heart did not fill him. Nothing under the sun, nothing from the secular view met his needs. It's almost like chasing bubbles. Right? That's what life is like. I love bubbles just as much as everyone else. But we know that they're here for a while and they, they quickly vanish. You may notice some in our lobby as you go out. That's not a, a direct tie to the sermon, but it is a reminder that we're always looking for help in our kids' ministry. So if you have the gift of, of wanting to connect with kids in our kids' ministry, see one of our volunteers out there. But while you're out there, also notice the bubbles. Right? They're bubbles, and you can give your life over to chasing those bubbles. You can do a lot of work, and you can even sit there and think to yourself, how am I going to get this bubble, and how am I going to keep it so it doesn't pop? And you give your life over to it. Right? You're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study it. Somehow I'm going to be able to capture that bubble. And so you create all these contraptions, these concoctions, and all this other stuff, and you give your life over to it, and guess what? Chasing after bubbles. It's not a worthy pursuit. You'll give your time over to it. You'll give your attention over to it. And you'll be left at the end with nothing. So a lot of work, a lot of attention, and a lot of activity doesn't always bring life and meaning. And in verse 15, we see his conclusion. Or the statement of truth, he says, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. In, in wisdom literature, and in the way Solomon is using the word crooked here, he's using it as a metaphor for sin or the moral brokenness that he sees in the world. And he says, this crookedness can't be fixed. Why can't the crookedness be fixed? Because sin has corrupted every area of life under the sun. Every area of life has been impacted and been corrupted by sin. And because God has seen all of this stuff, God has placed a curse on all of these things. So every time the humanity, you and I, step outside of God's design, we experience brokenness. It's a part of the curse that God has placed on us because we have rebelled against God. And we know this. We feel this brokenness. We live in this brokenness every single day, and we are powerless to fix it. That's what Solomon is saying. You are powerless to fix the brokenness in your own life and in the lives of people around you. Imagine for a moment... If I were to give each one of us a piece of cardstock, and on that piece of cardstock, I said, cut out this shape, and in the shape, it's, it's how to make a cube, right? And so I said, everyone, do your very, very best effort to, to make the best cube that you can. And so you cut out your paper, you're folding the paper, you're taping it together, and you have what looks like the perfect cube. Now, imagine we collected all those cubes. Right? Your best efforts, your best cube that you made with straight lines and as, as solid as you possibly could, if we were to take them and we were to start to build them, you know what would happen? They'd fall over. 
It would fall over. Why? Because even in our best efforts, we're still imperfect. We are imperfect people trying to fix a broken system. It's almost like a cog in a massive machine that the cog is broken and the cog tries to fix itself. Is that possible? No. In order for the cog in the machine to be fixed, the cog needs to be taken out and it needs to be replaced by something that's outside the system of the cog. You guys not following me there? And so this is how, how Luke, crazy it is that we would think that we can fix the system, system from begin. What, a, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. The futility of our fallen world, we're incapable of being able to fix it. And then in verse 16 and 17, we see the second pursuit. Solomon's wisdom had surpassed everyone in Jerusalem, and he gave himself over to no wisdom and madness and folly. You see, what, what Solomon's doing is he, he's saying, I'm giving myself over to both pursuits. Like, I want to understand it all. So he gave himself over to live the right way in wisdom, but then he also wanted to live the life the wrong way, the foolish way. So in some ways... Solomon was wiser than anyone else that ever lived, but he also partied harder than anyone else. And he says, in the end, it's like trying to grab the wind. In the verse 18, he gives us the conclusion. He says, in, in much wisdom and much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So he's saying the more knowledge you have, the more sorrow comes along with it. The more wisdom comes more frustration because with that comes more questions without answers. And in this pursuit of intellectualism under the sun, it brings futility. You see, we live in a world, even right now today, we live in a world where we don't have an information shortage Right? We're not short of information. Every day you carry around with you like connectedness to the internet in your phone. You have all of the world at your fingertips and yet it's not making the world a better place. You can Google this, you can Google that, you can YouTube this, you can YouTube that and find all kinds of answers to all kinds of other things but it's still not bringing peace to our lives. You know, there may not actually be an end to the internet. But imagine you got to the end of the internet. And you have read all things and you know all things. You know everything that's out there. And guess what? When you get to that end, you can be like, what's the point? What's, I can know all of this stuff. I can be the smartest person in the room. But it doesn't matter because in, in view of eternity, in view of all life, it doesn't matter how much you know if that is the end of your life. We have information, and we have access to information, but information doesn't fix the curse. Information can't cure racism. Information can't cure sexism. Information can't end abuse. It can't end homelessness. It can't repair broken marriages. Information may be able to help cure cancer, but it can't cure death. Information is not what we're living for. 
And what's even worse, we've taken and we've perverted information in our current culture. Right? No longer do we go to information and allow information to inform us, but we go seek information that seeks to, to back up our positions and our own feelings and our own thoughts. We see this happening all over the world today. Nobody's really in the pursuit of, of true knowledge. We just want what we, we want to back up our position and our thoughts. No one comes to information anymore with teachable hearts. But we come with our own biases and our own ideas. And this, this, this works, and this is the way it's supposed to work if it's under the sun. Right? If, if I'm the one that's in control, if I'm the one that's most important, then it should be my own pursuits doing whatever makes me happy. And Solomon's telling us, I did that, and guess what? There's still this gaping hole in my life. It didn't bring about peace. It didn't bring about joy. It didn't cure the curse. So instead of living life from under the sun perspective, which always leads to futility and frustration, we must look from a different perspective. And Solomon gets to that perspective. If you'll slide on down to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 16. Go ahead and turn there. What we're going to see in this passage is that God has wisdom beyond our understanding. God has wisdom beyond our understanding. Look at me in verse 16. Solomon writes, When I applied my heart to know knowledge and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However, much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Since meaning cannot be found under the sun, Solomon looks elsewhere. And we see in verses 16 and 17 that we find uh, the success in life does not come from the intellectual front. In fact, what he's saying here is that it le- this seeking f- success of wisdom exhausts him. Neither day or night he was able to sleep. He could not turn his mind off. He kept questioning over and over and over again the things that he experienced in life as he experienced the brokenness and he experienced the pain and he experienced the fleeting pleasure. He could not sleep at night because all of those things were going over in his mind over and over and over and over again. How many of you guys have a hard time turning your minds off? That's exactly what Solomon is as, as he's contemplating, as he's worried about the kingdom, as he's worried about people and he's worried about all of these things. He can't shut his mind off. But then verse 17 is a great shift. Because he says, Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. So in a moment, Solomon gets a glimpse of God's work. He sees God's ways, and he understands God's wisdom, and he has discovered that he was utterly, inadequately looking for success through human wisdom and intellectualism. 
It's when he finally looks to God that he sees that God has created this whole system. God is outside the system, but God is also uniquely working within the system that God has created and that God is all wise. It's like God is the creator of the game. And so God knows the rules and God knows the strategies and God knows all the things that we who are workers and part of God's plan are only seeking to discover. God doesn't have to discover anything because it's already known to him. And I love how Isaiah writes this about God. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord We want God's thoughts to be our thoughts. Like we want to be at the the position where we sit on the throne of our lives and we dictate everything that happens in our lives. And the Bible says that when we sit on the throne of our lives, that is direct rebellion against our creator. Because we are finite. We do not have all wisdom. We do not have all understanding. God alone has that. And when we see that we are creatures and he is the creator and it's his wisdom that is supreme, that should humble us. If that humbles you, that means your heart is in the right place. But you hear a statement like that and you bow your chest and you say, "Uh uh-uh, there still is no God. You're chasing after the wind. And actually, you're heading to an eternity of total torture because of your rebellion. God's wisdom is supreme. And in coming to him as creatures and seeking meaning from him, that will lead us into a path of life. I love how Paul Paul is talking to the churches in Corinth and the the areas around there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The world that, that, that Paul lived in and the church lived in at that time was deeply divided based on all different ideas of intellectualism. Everyone was saying, you know, this, this is where you find peace, that this is how you find peace. Follow this God and you will find peace. And this is what, what Paul writes, and I think it's so beautiful. He's trying to squelch all of the conversation. He says this, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God Has has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. And we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So I don't know if you caught that, but what is happening is is God is turning so-called human wisdom on its head. Through what the world deems as foolishness, God sees it as wisdom and as wise and the greatest thing that ever happened. The crucifixion of Christ to some, seem as though it's the most foolish human event in the world. The world sees the cross as foolishness because on the cross, God died. That's what the world says. It's all foolishness. Because how can you have a conquering king? How can you have an all-knowing, all-powerful God die? 
But what Paul is saying, what seems foolish to the world is actually the wisdom of God. Because Jesus, the perfect and wisest human being to ever lived, was ex- executed by the foolish hands of these so-called wise humans. Jesus laid down his life and was allowed to be considered as a fool because he knew that he was standing in our place as a substitute for our own foolishness. But Jesus didn't just die on the cross. Jesus was raised again to life on the third day. And the gospel of Jesus, the, the message of Jesus, brings, should bring us to repentance. And because at some time in our life, either the cross is the most foolish thing in the world or the cross is the most glorious thing of all. I want to submit to you that the cross is the most glorious, sweetest thing of all because it's there we can be at peace with God. It's there we can be at peace with others. It's there we can have the power to live in this broken world and see brokenness being healed. Jesus himself is wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The point is that we must all lay down our efforts and seek no longer to define success in our own terms, in our own minds. But we must give ourselves over to God's wisdom because God's ways are not our ways. Parent, God's ways are not your ways in your child's life. As much as you want to seek and protect them and seek to raise them in the right way, know that they are in God's hands. Know that God's ways may seem foolish to you. But God's ways are always the ways that he wants us to go. I mean, they have to think that when we follow God, he calls us to do crazy things that the world doesn't understand. I was thinking this morning and being reminded of in the days of Noah. Right, God, God saw the wickedness of the world and God wanted to uniquely use Noah to bring about redemption and to save some from this mess as he gets ready to destroy the world with a flood. And so God comes to Noah and he says, hey Noah, I need you to build an ark. And Noah's like, what's an ark? He's like, I'll tell you. And Noah's like, and, and God's like, I'm gonna bring rain. And Noah's like, what's rain? And so God says, just follow. And so he gives him the instructions. So Noah and his family begin this pursuit of building a boat. And every single day, everyone in town is walking by. They're like, what's Noah doing? Noah's like, hey, I'm building an ark. Why are you building an ark? God told me. Oh, that's stupid. Right? Well, that's dumb. Like, what do you, rain? What's rain? And so every single day as he's building that, that testimony to God, as he's being obedient to God, he must have seemed absolutely foolish to the rest of the world until the rain came. Until the rain came. And when the rain came, Noah and his family and all the animals enter the ark and the doors are shut and the rest of the world is left to be condemned. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, it is much better to look like a fool to the world and to be wise by following what God says to do than to give yourselves over to the world's pleasures. 
the greatest thing that we can do is to know God. It's the greatest thing that we can do because God is all-knowing. You are infinite in your wisdom. I mean, I, even as a dad, I find myself over and over and over again as my kids come to me and like, hey, dad, can we do this? And I'm like, okay, well, let's think about it. And so I gather as much wisdom as I possibly can. I try to understand who are the players, who are the things going on, and where are you going to be at this time, and where are you going to be at this time. And then as a dad, I have to make a decision. And I go to my child, and I say, this is my decision. And they follow through, and they do it. And I'll t- I can't tell you the number of times I've had to come back and say, oh, sorry, made a bad choice. I didn't see this, I didn't account for this, or I didn't account for that, I'm sorry. See, God is all-knowing. God never makes mistakes. But we, in our finite minds, need him. We need to go to him. We need to go to him every single second of the day so that we can know the plans that he has for us. And one of the greatest things that we can do, one of the greatest pursuits of your heart should be to know God through reading his word. God's not some unknowable God that is standing far back saying, you figure it out. No, God is a God that has come to us to pursue us. John 1.1 reminds us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That means Jesus himself was with God, and then God came to earth. The Word came to earth to show us the way back to the Father. We must humbly come to him seeking his wisdom, seeking his understanding, and then seeking to follow in obedience. Because he is wisdom, he is, he is truth, and he is life. Maybe you're here today and you've never come to Jesus. Maybe you've lived your life as though you were the ultimate authority in your life. And for the first time in your life, you realize that something's not right. And maybe today is the day that you've had an opportunity this morning to consider Christ. And I pray that if you're considering Christ that you would, you'd give over your mind, you'd give over your heart, you'd give everything over to him, you'd repent of your sin and allow him to come in and be the Lord of your life. If you're here today and that's a decision that you'd like to make, you come see me in the lobby afterwards. I'd love to talk with you more about that. But for many of us, sometimes we find ourselves being guilty a living life under the sun as Christians. And we sometimes find ourselves trying to keep our wisdom here and thinking that this is all that there is. And so we give our lives over to pursuing money. We give our lives over to pursuing relationships. We give our lives over uh, to pursuing this and that. When in reality, what we should be doing is giving our lives over to God himself and saying, God, here am I. Use me in whatever way that you desire. I pray that we can come to that place this morning. We put our hands up and we say, Lord, just use me. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your words today. We thank you for your truth today. And we pray, God, that we would be reminded that you are all wise. And that, Father, you know how this creation works. You know what's right. You know what's best. And you know what's true. And I pray that from this moment on, we would be people that give ourselves over to knowing you. For God, it's in knowing you that we really will have peace and that we'll know the ways that you want us to go and the things that you want us to do 
and we will find you, we will find peace, and we find purpose. So Father, as we sing this last song, continue to allow your spirit to dive deep into our hearts and into our minds and bring to mind areas of our lives where we are living in active rebellion against you so that we may confess it and so that we may be at peace once again. But Father, continue to work and continue to help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.